Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Can you imagine yourself how you would be if you were raised completely in nature? Maybe the the idea of Tarzan where where he left society and he completely immersed himself in nature. If you imagine that for yourself, how would you be different than you are today? What would be different? I mean, tonight's episode, I'm I'm very excited for tonight's episode. Um the topic is growing mindful and our guest tonight is Joanne Calabrese. We're going to bring Joanne on in just a minute. But Growing Mindful is the title of her latest book. The subtitle, Explorations in the Garden to Deepen Your Awareness. To Deepen Your Awareness. What is it about our relationship with nature that we might have perhaps missed the boat? Perhaps we evolved out of a connection with nature? Perhaps the Western mind came along and and shifted our focus out of our heart, out of our body, and up into our mind? The the mind can be such a a, a trap, if you will, a snag, a stall in our evolutionary process. What comes to mind is um, India, in their academic curriculum, had the twenty five uh, karma sutras, the twenty five yogas as part of the curriculum in their public school system, which is basically the public school system is set up for the enlightenment of the individual. And then the the British Empire comes in and says, what's all this crap, And, and wipes it off the table and installs mathematics and and the traditional Western curriculum. What a tragedy. And again, what I'm getting at is I think a lot of times how we get stuck is our mind wants to feel better. Our mind wants to have a sense of peace, a sense of connection, a sense of durability and resilience. How many people have so much anxiety towards the future? stress towards the future, even fear towards the future. Those are not natural attributes to consciousness expressing itself as nature. In other words, you go out in nature and here's a tree, and the tree's not fretting about tomorrow. The tree's not fretting about anything. It's it's embodied, it's anchored in itself. It's connected with itself. 
there's no longing. The tree doesn't have longing or worry or fret. And so tonight's episode, I'm very delighted for this, is um, Joanne's book, Growing Mindful. It's, it's deepening our awareness through the exploration through the vehicle of a garden. I think we're going to have plenty to talk about, so let's get to it. Again, the topic tonight, Growing Mindful, and our guest tonight is Joanne Calabrese. This inspiring book features dozens of awareness-boosting activities rooted in sensing the wonder and magic of nature. That's that connected element. Wonder and magic of nature. Discover supplies and settings for these activities. 52 plants to mindfully connect with every week of the year and heart-centered explorations of garden correspondence, connecting ourselves with our environment. Her book, Growing Mindful, helps you deepen your spirituality and nurture a unique practice. Joanne is a skilled wellness mindfulness, and recovery educator and lifelong organic gardener and herbalist. She is experienced in meditation, ritual work, qigong, and tai chi. Her passion is sharing how these intersecting practices can lead to more connectedness and thus healing in the world through workshops and coaching. Her website is mindfulnessgardengames.com. Join me in welcoming Joanne to the show. Joanne, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Connection I'm excited with to talk about my book. <laughs> well, I am too. The... Uh, so often uh, when uh, in our culture we can get disconnected. I mean, we have, we have such an electronic presence, whether it's our phone or our computer or we're on the Internet or our minds are processing our stock market or selling the house or, I mean, all this mental chit-chat and it seems like our ego can have no problem whatsoever consuming all of our consciousness and there's and and we can pinch off the consciousness of no thought of of presence of connectedness that nonverbal perhaps dialogue with nature and and here you are you've written a book about that can you share with us at what point in because the introduction said that you're a lifelong organic gardener at what point did you feel like you needed to bring this into a book well i started blogging about this in 2013 and it was just kind of um almost for me just um putting words onto paper and then you know onto the blog on the internet 
musings about this connection. Uh, again, grew up in a family that gardened, and so I've been just a gardener my whole life. And I started a meditation practice in my 20s. So those two things, not necessarily were separate, but I, I didn't see at first how they, you know, they interacted. And as I sort of pushed out the envelope on my mindfulness practice to include more energy work, so around ritual, around Qigong and Tai Chi, at some point it just all became one. It was like, well, wait a minute, the, what I'm doing in the garden and my hands in the soil, this is spiritual practice when I'm connecting and there's this deep energy that you feel in the garden if you're paying attention. Um, and I decided I wanted to share that with people, so started doing the blog and then wanted to make it more um, more accessible for more people. And uh, the, the book has just a range of activities. I think that anybody who picks it up would find something in there absolutely that would, would call to them. They might want to try. Oh, certainly. No, no question about that. Well, the, now, the, the notion of ritual work, um, and then you add the elements of Qigong and Tai Chi in your, in your experience, nature seems to communicate in this um, perhaps nonverbal kind of uh, communion, kind of exchange, if you will. How does how does the nonverbal aspect of connecting with your garden? I mean, how do we how do we even wrap our heads around that if if we haven't considered that before? Well, let's see. Um, I think to know uh, so so information and facts do help at the beginning to just kind of wrap our heads around it, and that's. Um, we live in a culture that doesn't really encourage us to tune into energy. We very much live in a culture, as you noted, that kind of we get stuck in our heads. And now with all the electronic devices, we get stuck in our heads on electronic devices. And so to step back and really understand that that's not always how humans existed. Most of the millennium, that is not how they were interacting with nature and that there was a, a deep understanding that this was our life support system, not just sort of this backdrop when we're on our way to the car or the coffee shop or something. So I think to, to first of all take that step back and say that um, this is something our ancestors knew and engaged in, whether they labeled it that or not, whether they called it, you know, sensing energy they were aware of it because it was their world and it was important to pay attention to energy around plants. Uh, if you were tending them to, to pay attention if they needed something. Um, so I, I think that's the first step to, to know that this is possible. It's not odd. It's not something strange. Um, it's really part of our history as humans. And then I think the next step is intentional practice. Uh, mindfulness is a practice, and that means we step up in an intentional way and say, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm going to pay more attention. I'm, I have a number of meditations in the book, so you know, I'm going to do one of these meditations. I'm going to engage with this plant and have patience. So if this is new to somebody, um, to sit and observe, to sit and be present might feel odd at first, but to be patient with ourselves. 
mindfulness, perhaps, and the meditation quieting the mind, so the awareness that would have been consumed by busy thoughts can be available to just experience, really, not verbalize, but just experience the connection. You know, you talk about our ancestors, and I find it very, very curious that I can go into a grocery store and there's bananas from another country, there's, you know, mangoes, there's, I mean, with with our, quote, modern, unquote, society, we can really bring in a, a broad, um, diverse range of food, but our ancestors had a, a much more organic connection to the food and it was much more of a local event. Even if they didn't um, grow it in their own garden, it grew nearby. And how, how do you feel when you go into the garden as it relates to how your your ancestors or your family tree would have experienced growing? Gosh, I haven't thought about a question like that, but I think um, I absolutely love um, being able to grow things that I know that my grandfather grew. So there's that connection and connectedness with that family history. Um, I can tell you even now, um, when I brush up against tomato plants, uh, the first time I was aware of that fragrance from the leaves of tomato plants was in my grandfather's garden. So there's a very strong, again, connection there. But I think uh, anytime we're growing our own food, um, gosh, it's such a, um, there's, there's just this, this place where it's, it's magical. It's, I have, um, and I, I have an urban garden, so I, it's not, I don't have acres and acres, but I still have um, currants in my freezer from last summer. I have them most mornings with oatmeal, and every morning I'm grateful. I am so grateful for this, this amazing gift with uh, my hands, my garden, this plant, co-creating, and it's given me uh, all these these berries like throughout the, the winter. So I think um, it reminds us to be grateful. It reminds us of how magical this is that the earth provides for us. It it does, and that we can co-create with it. And I think that's I, I'm sure that um, my my grandparents and people that were growing food have experienced that same thing that gratitude when you have the harvest. I like that. Well, you know the. Um, the ritual of our ancestors, the, the ritual, whether it being community dance or, or drumming circles or festivals or whatever, the ritual of gardening, I mean, you're literally getting down on your knees and you're putting your hands in the soil right there. That's so grounding. And, and to to immerse in the feeling of it, to immerse in the action of it. Uh, and then, like you, like we've been talking about, it, it's a ritual in and of itself, even though it wasn't um, a community ritual per se. 
to go into the garden and 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 put your hands in the soil and plant with intent and harvest the fruit that that's got to be woven into our DNA because it's only recently that we go to a a grocery store I mean they're they haven't been around that long I would imagine it's it's a very um, organic part of all of us regardless if we have a garden or not wouldn't you think I do I think um, I hadn't thought about it quite like that before but I think we've been doing this for thousands of years and so there's um, I think at the point that somebody starts to garden and there's been a huge um, sort of explosion of people interested in gardening over the last year and it's it's really cool to see and I think it just calls people back to themselves, to kind of that heart-centeredness and connection to the earth. It's very cool. With 2020 kind of uh, turning everything up on its head, do you think the the upsurge in interest in gardening came out of kind of an organic need for a, a, a better connection with earth with nature in in other words in 2019 maybe connection with earth was the last thing on our mind and then the, the karmic tsunami blew through <laughs> and, yeah and, and people people are hungry for a more authentic feeling wouldn't you think yes i mean i'm not sure if that was the entire um start of it because i think some people were also just looking for something to do or you know, quotes a hobby or something, but I think as people engage with it, I've talked to people who really never planted things before and they're just very excited about it. They're excited to be putting seeds in the ground again. They started something last year and they're expanding it. Uh, so it, it um, whatever the reason was that they started it, I think people felt inspired once they, that they got their hands in the soil. Absolutely. Well, You've really written a wonderful book, and it's 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 so loaded with immersion. I mean, you you really invite the reader, and and you make it you make it very um, easy to engage in process, to engage in ritual with the garden, with the plants, and did you find when you were I mean you've You've spent uh, a lifelong passion with organic gardening. When you went to put this into a book, did the the process of writing about it bring any epiphanies or new ahas or new understandings of the process of gardening? Yeah, I had um, I had a number of kind of um, surprises, epiphanies, synchronicities also, uh, where, for example, in the second half of the book where I talk about the correspondences, so uh, energetic attributes of specific plants. And, you know, I've worked with plants for a long time, and I, you just feel this connection. And, and it's like working, you know, you have friends and you have animal companions, and they have characteristics. They have attributes. Plants have that too, and you just sense them as you're working with them. So I would, um, you know, start to write about something and then be doing maybe some extra reading or research about it, and I would just have this 
this absolute confirmation that yes, that was, again, plants have multiple correspondences, but that I had a confirmation that the one I was writing about was the absolute one I was supposed to write about. Um, for example, uh, with amaranth, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the plant, but it's it's gorgeous. It can get five, six, sometimes seven feet tall and has these large plumes on it. And it's, um, of course, people who are into healthy eating know that amaranth has a lot of protein. It's a grain, lots of vitamins. Um, and it's, it grows really well in Denver because it's um, drought tolerant. So as I started to do um, some research, oh, and, and the word that, that always came to me with amaranth was around grace and graceful because it, it just sort of billows in the wind and it's just uh, the seeds start to fall and to the ground in the fall and it's like these little beautiful pink red raindrops coming down so it was graceful when I started to read about it the plant uh, was sacred to the Aztecs and it was sacred because uh, it grew in a hostile environment provided them with all of this nutrition this protein um, was just a sacred plant to them and so they looked on it as a gift from the gods and that's what grace is grace is we're not working for something we're not putting out effort but through grace something comes to us or is given to us and so it just I started reading that and I'm like oh my gosh this is just this is it this is grace is this attribute for this plant the, the sad part of that story, as far as the discoveries and things that I, I found out, um, was, of course, when the Europeans came, they were not happy about a plant that the Aztecs thought were sacred. And so they outlawed the plant and, you know, people were, were murdered over this plant, which is really sad. Uh, but the plant has survived and thrived, and it is this beautiful symbol of, of grace and this, this gift that, that we have. Um, so that was a, that was just sort of these deep dives that I was doing into different plants that I I, I know I, I grow in my garden I've grown them for a long time and I felt like I knew well and then I would have sort of these these other revelations about them so that was just one example. Wow, uh, a plant that a culture calls sacred. And the Western mind comes in and murders people for worshiping it. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It just reminded me of the what I mentioned in the pre-show about, in the opening about India and the British Empire. Well, you know, a lot of times we don't um, choose what we eat. Well, of course we choose what we eat, but... If you go to a store, you you don't know how it's been processed. You don't know what what's been added or subtracted from it. When so, Joanne, when you work in a garden, do you ever? I mean, when our bodies need something to be healthy, a lot of times we'll crave it. As you work with the plants in the garden, do you do you find that? Um, some are more um, attractive or uh, your craving for them is more prominent at one time of the year versus another. In other words, 
um, being connected to such a, a pure, un, unscathed um, nutrient or, or natural plant, as your body needs um, new nutrients, how does that interaction work with, with you as you go through your garden? I don't know. For, I, I, I guess my answer to that is I'm not sure if um, I'm just so excited about the plants growing that, you know, as they're coming into fruition, that that's what I want to eat. So I don't know exactly, you know, where that is on that spectrum. Is the is the plant calling to me or I'm just, I'm like, I love eggplant, but there's nothing like the eggplants from my garden. Like I can get eggplant at the store, but in the summer then I have them from the garden and, and I feel that way about all of the plants. So I'm, I'm pretty um, eager to, so I don't know if that's a, you know, just this, my body telling me I need those nutrients or I'm just excited to have grown these vegetables or fruits, whatever it is, again, together with this plant and I'm excited to use it. And uh, I guess there is a, you know, craving with that. It's just, it continues to, um, I don't know if the right words are, just blows me away. You know, I've grown something and here it is and now I've brought it into the kitchen and I've prepared it and it just this whole cycle of energy. Of course, you know, I compost into the soil and there's a whole cycle that goes on with gardening that is amazing. And we, um, many people on the planet just take take this for granted. The green world is our life support system. And to be in a space where we appreciate that, um, that's kind of, what my goal is always and certainly was my goal in, in writing the book and in having people come into that space. So I don't know if I answered your question exactly. Well, I, I think your excitement um, answered it right there. You're, you're excited to be in the garden. You're excited to, to watch it grow and to harvest it and to bring it into the kitchen. Well, the, now, when we when we talk about interacting with a garden, um, our Western mind can say, "Well, we dig a hole and we put in a plant, we water it, and then the plant grows and we harvest it and eat it." But if we think about the the energetic connection, um, the I mean, can you describe some of the different ways that? Um, our senses are activated that might not be obvious as we go into the garden. Sure, and and I think again um, we can do this in a more intentional way. So um, that was one of the things I talk about in the in the book is you know the the garden is it, and can be a, a portal to mindfulness so that our senses are engaged. <clears throat> Gardens are beautiful. Uh, they have fragrance. There are different textures and things to touch, different things to hear and see. Um, and so there's this opening, which is different than sitting in an office or sitting in our living room. There's an, an opening that just engages us. And that's great. But then we step up with this intentional practice, uh, which is what mindfulness is. And we pay more attention and we we focus on 
um, really paying attention to those senses. So in the book, I have a whole variety of um, activities around each of the different senses uh, with touching things or with fragrances and really stepping it up in a way that in as much as we can, it's a single-minded focus to tuning into that sense in the garden. And then we, we wait and we see what comes to us when we're engaging in that way. And for everybody, it might be a little bit different. And that's another thing I say in the book. It's this is, none of these are um, just mind, like brain kind of activities to read the book and say, oh, I bet this is what would happen when I do that activity. I really encourage people to engage, like not assume that this is how, this is what's going to happen or this is what you're going to experience. It's in the it's in the doing of it that things are going to be revealed. I like that the the getting out of our head and getting into our body, getting out of our head and moving our awareness to our environment getting out of our head and being more aware of the subtle energy. Um, that's beautiful. I mean, in spiritual, in spiritual practice, that, that clicks on many cylinders. Um, yeah. How do you, um, if somebody hasn't gardened before and they get your book, which I highly recommend, and, how do, how do you how do you decide what to plant? I mean, because it to me the, the notion of archetype. I don't know that you use that term in the book, but you go through fifty two different kinds of plants, and you and you you give them personalities. And I'm using the term archetype, but they're they each have their own unique um, attributes and characteristics. When you go to plant a garden, how do you, how would you suggest choosing what to plant? Well, a couple of things. First of all, um, you, uh, although this this would, uh, I was going to say you don't have to have a garden to do the activities in the book. And then I almost stopped myself because it's like, no, everyone should garden. <laughs> So I am passionate about gardening. But um, a lot of the activities can be done just in a green space or a friend's garden or the botanic gardens, that kind of thing. But if you're moving forward with planning your own garden, there's two ways I would suggest that the people proceed. Um, one is there are some practical things about gardening, and you can now, you know, it's easy to look those up online. Uh, there are um, organizations um, even in Denver where I live, uh, Denver Urban Gardens, the Botanic Gardens, that have information on what grows well here. So you could take a very practical approach and first of all check on what actually grows well in your area because you want to be successful. Uh, it it's, can be uh, disconcerting to get really excited about gardening and then have things not grow. So there are things that grow better in some areas. There are things that once you have some gardening experience, even though they don't necessarily grow well, you might try them. But certainly start with something easy for your area. And then I think the other part, though, is what 
are you drawn to? Like maybe you list, make a list of plants that grow well in your area and then um, do some reading about them. Or if you have a friend who's a gardener, what's calling to you? Like what do you want to grow? What would be fun to grow? Some people really prefer like flowers. Um, you know, they're not wanting to grow vegetables. Uh, some people really want to be able to make something and share it, put it on their table, you know, have people eat it. So I think um, those two things would be my recommendations, uh, just to think about what grows well in your area and then what's kind of calling to you energetically. Nice. Well, now, here in Colorado, we can get a, a late frost or an early freeze. What about, I mean, if we live in a part of the world where the growing season is not really realistic outside, perhaps we live up north or whatever. What about indoor gardening? Is there any tips to that? Well, certainly. I mean, there's a lot of things um, that you can grow indoors. Uh, many of um, culinary herbs, some of the medicinal herbs can easily grow on windowsills. I mean, if you think about basil, parsley, uh, the mints, uh, all of those kinds of things can grow in a sunny window and and can be added to salads, can be added to different kinds of dishes. So you can uh, engage in, in the same way. Plus, I love the fragrant herbs. Um, yes, the fragrant herbs are just wonderful to grow uh, in the middle of winter to be able to just, you know, be able to pick a leaf and kind of um, get the fragrance from it onto your hands and, you know, a reminder that spring is coming. So, yeah, that's really helpful. I do want to say, though, even up north, um, my one daughter um, was in Montana for quite a while, up almost near the Canadian border. And um, there's lots of plants that you can get that are short season. You can also do mini greenhouses. And th there's a lot of adaptions that can be made. So most people can grow some things out in their yard. I like that. I mean, you go too far north and the growing season's probably 10 minutes. <laughs> well, now, <laughs> now a, a, a greenhouse is an interesting um, aspect. What if my lifestyle has me traveling and I don't always know that I'll be home? And so it could be easy for me to say, well, I can't do a garden because I'm busy. I mean... Uh, what kind of tools or options are there that that improve your chances of success if if gardening isn't your your green thumb attribute, so to speak? Well, as far as again the the garden mindfulness, green world mindfulness, you can still practice that even if you don't have your own garden. So I would just say that's the first thing. And if somebody's traveling a lot. I would encourage them to check out the botanic gardens in the different cities that they're traveling to. You know, if they travel for work, that can be really cool. I also think the buddy system works. Uh, some of my first gardens I did with friends, and that way if you're not around to water, somebody else can, and that kind of leads to this whole idea um, of um, uh, shared space, urban gardens, and again, 
Uh, Denver does that, but lots of cities uh, around the country do that. Um, and if you're going to be out of town, usually somebody else who's part of that shared garden community will water for you and keep an eye on your plants. So really partnering with other people, which again builds connectedness, which is kind of cool. Nice. I like that. When, um, when you look at your favorite plants, what are, what are some that stand out for you that, that have been a favorite for you your whole life or perhaps they change as time goes by? They do change as time goes by. And I think um, sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm absolutely sure it's one or the other, but it's funny because this week um, in my garden, my my garlic is just going really, really strong. Uh, you plant the garlic in the fall and uh, it's really happy. We've had a lot of rain here, looking very green. And um, I love garlic. My father grew garlic, so I have that kind of relationship with the plant. Um, I use a lot of garlic in cooking. And the correspondence for me with garlic has always been confidence. It's just, it just resonates with being confident. And I think that um, that's an attribute I've not always had, and I appreciate it. And uh, so that's, and again, that might sound like a, a an odd plant because it's uh, people think of garlic as just, you know, something you see in the grocery store and you just see the bulbs. The plants are really beautiful, and when they get flowers on the top, they are in the lily family. So they, they actually look, they're very lovely. Um, so that's one. And I think um, another plant that I just have always loved is yarrow. Uh, yarrow, is, the resonance is healing. It has been a plant, an herb that's been used for healing for thousands of years and it's not super flashy the leaves though are, are gorgeous they're um, serrated and feathery uh, it's also very hardy so it'll grow in a lot of different places and um, the resonance again is is around healing and I think there's a lot of just interesting stories with yarrow uh, it's uh, botanical name is uh, Achillium millifolium, so it's supposedly named for Achilles, and that it was used during the Trojan War. It is, um, it will, um, it will stop bleeding or help to stop bleeding. And I love this correspondence with the healing because lots of herbs are healing. That plants have been used for healing again, for the millennium, and, and we could look at almost um, any herb and say, well, it has healing qualities. But one of the things that jumps out at me around yarrow is that because it stops the bleeding, and it's also antiseptic, um, thinking about when we're healing or a community's healing or we're healing from emotional things, just sort of this analogy of you have to stop the bleeding first. Because I think sometimes people, again, neighborhoods, communities, sort of move to, well, we're just going to heal from this, whatever it is, whatever the thing is. And yet the original wound, the bleeding hasn't stopped. And whether it was angry words or some sort of actions, like something something needs to happen. And so what I love about this, the, the resonance with Yarrow is it stops the bleeding. And then healing can happen. 
And so I think there's just a lot of ways to play with that in addition to it just being a very strong healing herb. Um, and it's beautiful. It's just a beautiful little plant. So that's also a favorite. Well, I like that. I, you know, what? while you were talking about garlic, I have your book right here in my hand, and I open up to page 144, and there it is, week 11, Garlic and Confidence. And I'm just going to read the first sentence, and I will say confidence is is very prominent in this first segment. Sentence. My general rule for garlic in recipes is to double it. <laughs> Two cloves really means four cloves, and three means six. I mean, garlic is <laughs> garlic can be a very uh, a powerful um, um, element to add to our food. To our food, and and. To have the confidence of doubling it, I just that kind of stuck out for me. Well, you know, you mentioned about the the stopping the bleeding aspect of of the plant. Um, a lot of times when we think of growing a garden, we we're thinking about growing it for food. And I think you were talking about flax and and linen. Um, how how could a garden be used from a like a medicine cabinet point of view? Oh my gosh, um, yeah. There's so many plants that have um, healing properties, and of course they they were our pharmacy for a long time. Um, in fact, you know the pharmaceutical companies have looked at a lot of herbs and tried to synthesize whatever's happening with the plant and then packaging it. In, in some sort of a remedy. But um, going back to a lot of traditional remedies that like a lot of our grandparents knew, our great-grandparents knew, and there are, you know, ways to um, to gain that knowledge. Now, I talk about some of that in the book, although this is not a book of herbal remedies, but I do mention some of those things. Um, and some of the, the plants that, that have a lot of healing qualities are things that many people consider to be weeds. Uh, if you think about dandelion, and, and dandelion's correspondence is resilience because it is a super resilient plant uh, and it helps us be resilient. There is um, a lot of um, evidence that uh, dandelion helps the internal organs, uh, kidney, uh, kidneys, liver, and so it helps them to work best way and those are our cleansing organs in our body so that helps us be resilient um, dandelions are free they are almost everywhere and that's a plant that people can learn to incorporate both into their diets as just adding nutrition and you know learning to make teas from them make tinctures from them that kind of thing and that information is out there um, nettles, stinging nettles is another plant, you know, that people bump into near a stream. They're not very happy. Um, that's just a great plant. It's full of minerals. It's also really helpful for the garden. Uh, it's good to put it into the compost, but I grow uh, stinging nettles in a pot. So it's in one area that I can, and my, my grandkids know exactly where it is so they don't brush up against it. Uh, but again, that grows 
out in the wild and uh, is a really good healing plant. So just taking some time to familiarize ourselves with those things. And again, those weren't a mystery a few generations ago. People people just knew this. It was kind of a common knowledge that we've lost to some degree. Right. Well, nature isn't a fool by any means. If anything, it's it's our human demeanor that's disconnected from the wisdom of nature and that's what I like about your book you're you're um, you're reconnecting us in a very delightful way with our relationship with nature and and to do it through a garden I just and and you you stipulate you don't have to have a garden and I appreciate that but the I, I think a lot of the elements that people have that are side effects of a busy mind, anxiety, stress, fret, worry, fear, to to follow the practices in your book and draw themselves out of their mind, so to speak, and reconnect them with um, their environment, with nature. There's there's an inherent um, sense of peace that the nature has if you go out um, away from civilization and go out into nature. There's a harmony. There's a grace. And I think that's a lot of what people long for, yearn for. But if they don't ever get out of their mind, it's it's a lot less likely to actually take... Now, when we were chatting before the show, you mentioned flax and linen. Are you are you growing flax to make fabric? Yes, yes. This was uh, again something else that came out of me writing the book, and I just got so excited um, about this whole history of the plant flax that uh, people processed it and made it into um, some of the first fabrics and goes back thousands and thousands of years. It's not an easy process. And so I was just amazed, you know, thinking about early humans just even discovering it. And I was like, I I need to do this. Um, and I, I had grown flax just as a wildflower in my one bed. But um, it's a certain variety that you grow for, flat, for fiber and uh, looked up a lot of things online, YouTube videos on um, how to process it after. And it was both just amazing and fun. And there's a thing after you, you have to, to, to it's called redding. So you take the, the, the dry stalks and you have to soak them in water. And that gets some of the, um, the stemmy part off of, of the fiber. And you let that dry again and then, you begin to crack those stems and the fiber emerges, these, these threads, these strings that then you can um, spin and then weave. And that was just amazing for me as I started to do that, realizing again that ancestors of, of all of us have done this process uh, and watching these fibers emerge. Um, so just very, very cool. Uh, this year, and this, this plant's not in the book, but this year I'm growing woad, which is um, a plant that was some of the first blue dye, natural dye that people had. 
So I'm hoping to grow the woad and then dye um, some of my 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 fiber from the slacks, dye that blue, and make a wall hanging or something like that. I don't have enough fibers to clothing, but it has been again when you talk about connections, just connecting to these processes. Um, it's very healing. It uh, just resonates again with our ancestors and with with the entire green world that, that that offers us up all these gifts. They're just gifts all the time. I like that. Um, and what comes to mind is the attention that you're putting on this process. So so here's the flax plant and there's a there's a whole process to extract the fiber from the plant. And you're yes you're dumping your attention into the into the flax like uh, for example the taj mahal the, the the building is is considered a sacred space and i've always been fascinated by um things of that nature and if you look at the history of the taj mahal a human being took every single little piece, a lot of the pieces aren't very big at all, and a human being placed it, every single piece, every single inch, all over the entire building. And when people come to visit, they can feel the consciousness that had been poured into that building, and and that's that's part of why it's considered such a, a sacred place. And so when you talk about growing something out of your garden with an intent from the beginning and and then you talk about the process of extracting the fiber and now you're talking about growing a blue dye I mean that's just thick with your consciousness that's gotta that's gotta um, sink into everything that you do with that and I, I just find it fascinating that um, the whole process of watching it grow and then creating a linen out of that I, I can understand why it has moved you in such a, a powerful way yeah it's um, thank you, because I, I explained it to some family, and they're like, okay, we can see you're excited about that. But I think it is, it's just, um, it's it's an energy kind of thing, and you, you just feel it, and you connect with the plant. And I, I do feel this this deep connection when I, last summer, with the people who went before me, who both discovered this, and then who continued this process. And I think that we can, with any of our gardening, we can we can be open to that, and those those sort of threads of connection are there for us if we tune into them for sure. With our automated society, and we have big machines that make miles and miles of fabric in an automated way, I could totally see uh, a reemergence of the old ways, so to speak. I mean, just to listen to you describe the process of of bringing the flax in, um, through the process and, and how it makes you feel, 
it wouldn't surprise me at all if if there wasn't a resurgence because after 2020, people are they're hungry for a more authentic, uh, a more genuine, a more perhaps organic um, way of living instead of the electronic and manufactured and disconnected uh, society that we've created for ourselves. Um, I, I really appreciate your book. Um, who did you who did you write this book for? Oh, my dedication. Um, so Samuel Copeland um, left the planet in 2017. Um, he um, we're very close. Uh, he um, was a, a kung fu martial artist. Um, and Tai Chi instructor, and so again, some of my uh, beginning um, with Tai Chi was through some of his classes. But he he just really embodied um, a, a deep spiritual awareness, and and was very humble about it. Just very very humble, uh, and yet there was just this. You know, he would I would tease him sometimes about hiding his light under a basket because he. He just um, had this deep wisdom that he gave freely to people, and you could feel it. It was very heart-centered. And, yeah, so I had just, it was important to me to really just dedicate the book to him because, and it's funny because he was not a gardener, but this deep uh, wisdom and and. Uh, energy work that he did through martial arts and and through Tai Chi that he certainly understood energetic connections and um, was just kind, wise, beautiful, beautiful soul. And he's missed. Yeah. Sure. It's clear he made a very deep impact on you. Well, an hour can go by pretty fast. I think you've written a wonderful book here. Do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? I think it's just important, again, that intentional piece to um, not just read a book or watch a video about being mindful or gardening, but, you know, go out and engage. That'd be the first thing that I would say. Uh, It doesn't have to be complicated, but just challenge yourself. Set an intention. Do it. And the other thing is just watch you know, our words complicate things. We, we think we, we label something, we put a word on it like, oh, that's a tree, that's a flower, and we think we know it. Try to get beyond that. Try to be patient and sit with the plant, the tree, the garden. What's, what are you sensing? What's happening here energetically? Those would be my tips. Well, very nice. Um, Joanne, I've really enjoyed this episode with you. I think you've written a wonderful book. I want to thank you for being our guest tonight on the show. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. It was great talking with you, too. We've been talking with Joanne Calabrese, and the topic tonight has been the the title of her latest book, Growing Mindful, Explorations in the Garden, to deepen your awareness. The 
the collective consciousness of humanity <laughs> has been uh, on the proverbial roller coaster for the last year or so, and there's been so much up and down with um, what the collective consciousness has experienced, what the media has, has has reflected upon ourselves, and I and like I've I've said, people are. The, the collective is, is hungry for a more uh, grounded, a more fulfilling, a more authentic narrative, a new, a new narrative that is compatible with what we desire and compatible with Mother Earth, compatible with nature itself. And what I really liked about tonight's episode is Joanne has written a very engaging book that that reconnects us with with nature um, not from not from our ego but as as much as it's not to exclude the ego but to reconnect us at a much deeper level and anytime we connect at a deeper level um, there's there's a deeper sense of fulfillment a deeper sense of satisfaction that comes out of a deeper connection. A lot of times what we lack is any depth to our life because it's all busy, busy, hurry, hurry, scurry, scurry, and we don't actually slow down and connect. I, I totally recommend her book, and again, her website is mindfulnessgardengames.com. I want to thank you, the listener. Here you are. You've shown up for yourself. You've joined us with this episode. When you take the time to grow who you are, your your um, when you take the time to to evolve your consciousness, to awaken to the 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 deeper aspect of who you are, that ripples not only through you, but everybody you come in contact with. So I applaud you for showing up for who you are. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Always a pleasure. Thank you for spending this time with us. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect, and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.